Father, thank you, Lord, because you've sustained us. And Lord, we, we can see your good hand upon us, Lord, to protect and care for us. Lord, thank you for this wonderful free nation that you've given us to live in. God, we rejoice, Lord, that in your providence we were born here, or we became citizens here, or we immigrated here, Lord, in a country where we could be free, where we could worship according to our conscience, where we could speak freely our mind, God, where we could live in safety and protection. Lord, thank you for the, the untold benefits and blessings that you've poured upon us. God, we rejoice and, and we praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for caring for our families through this pandemic. Lord, you've supplied our needs. Lord, I'm praying even now for those who may have lost a job or are wondering where the next paycheck is going to come or, or, or their material needs are going to come from. Lord, you told us in, in the book of Peter, casting all of our care upon you because you do care for us. And Father, we're thankful that your great, great attribute is love. Lord, thank you for caring for your children and providing for us. Lord, we, we know you'll continue to do so. And Lord, we'll be faithful stewards of all that you put into our hand. Lord, thank you for the wonderful people that have tuned in this morning to open the word of God and be challenged. Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor David as he brings the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Hey, good morning. Uh, as I've already said, happy fourth uh, weekend, I guess. Today is not the fourth technically, but happy fourth weekend. I hope you enjoyed time with your families. Um, I, as I was preparing this week, I began to think about um, a couple amazing storytellers in my own life. Um, I have a friend named Lomax and my aunt, Fran. Both of them can tell a story that will have you rolling on the floor with laughter. Like, like you know, like sloppy tears coming out of your eyes, laughing so hard your stomach hurts, your cheeks hurt. They can have you like on the edge of your seat just waiting. What, what, what are you going to say? What's the punchline? What's the end of the story? They can have you like crying, like like sobbing because they, they just have a way with their words, the way that it's presented, the way that they can tell a story that gets right to the point. And, and I love listening to their stories particularly because of that reason. The reason we wanted to look at Jesus' parables is because they do the same thing. Uh, they draw us and they pull us towards a concise point, one main truth that he's trying to get the listeners uh, in his original context and then us as well to try and engage with. And he is also a master storyteller. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the short stories, the parables of Jesus. We believe that they're vitally important for us to know because they talk about the kingdom of heaven. And now we've done just a whole series on this. Uh, and it's important to note that the parables, the short stories of Jesus are about the kingdom of heaven. And what they're meant to do is they're meant to shake up our expectations about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. They're meant to change the way that we're thinking about something right now. They're meant to, to lead us towards what God would have us to know, what Jesus wants us to do. And so uh, we, we wanna look at several of these over the next couple of weeks. I, I wanna start out with one that you're probably familiar with, but I wanna give you a little bit of context to understand what Jesus is saying uh, in this moment and what's happening in this story. Now, Jesus has just uh, started his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter four. He's just preached 
the, the, the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It has arrived and he's gone through the synagogues and the towns and the cities and he's been preaching and he's been healing and, and, and the kingdom has come. It's arrived. It's here. It's now. And he's returning to Galilee. And I'm going to read this so you get, so you're not just listening to what I'm saying, but you're verifying with scripture here. Let's look at Matthew chapter four. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So here's what's happening is there's this large crowd that's following Jesus. All of these diseases are getting healed. He's proclaiming this wonderful message. Uh, and, and there's a, a bunch of buzz and excitement. Not only are the people in Jesus's hometown or the surrounding towns in his little area wanting to come see what he's about in the surrounding areas, they're wanting to come see what he's all about. And so he's, he, he goes up to Galilee and there's a, a little hillside that he goes and he sits down on and a great crowd comes and seats themselves all around him. And then he delivers what we know now as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, maybe one or two of Jesus's sermons that we have recorded. I'm sure he spoke more, but, but certainly this one is vital and it's important because what this uh, uh, sermon does or what this teachings that Jesus gives out, it's a full bodied explanation of what kingdom people are. This is what kingdom people do. The kingdom is here. And so this is who we are. And this is what we do. We're to be like God and do for him on his terms. And Jesus is giving us the terms of what it looks like to be a kingdom person. And we call this our vocation. This is what we've said so far in the uh, uh, heaven and earth series that we did several weeks ago. We're to be image bearers of God. Okay, we're, we're not to be constrained by the world's views of success or power or compassion or obligation to others or whatever. Instead, Jesus gives us a deeper picture of what it means to be a kingdom person, an image bearer, that angled mirror that, that reflects his glory to the world and our praise and worship back to him. And after he delivers this, I mean, these powerful words that we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he tells the people a story. Now, what an interesting thing to do. Why not just give out the, the gospel presentation and then say, okay, now everybody bow your heads and let's pray to get, like, why, why does he tell a story? I think it's to punctuate his point. Let's take a look at a story that you're likely familiar with. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came up, the streams, or sorry, the rain came down, the streams arose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I don't assume that all of us grew up in church, but probably many of you did. I would wonder, do you know what the meaning of this story is? If you're like me and you grew up in church, uh, you went to Sunday school and you heard this answer over and over and over again, you heard the story over and over and over again, you probably heard something to this effect. We are to build our lives on Jesus Christ because he is the rock and the sure foundation of our lives. 
And when the rain comes and the, the streams rise and the storms of life get after us, we will be standing firm on the rock that is Jesus. Now, I think that's a great teaching, right? I, I think that's a, a wonderful, uh, a true application that we can pull out. But is that what Jesus is trying to say? Is that really the point of his short story here? Now, because I grew up in church and because I went to Sunday school and because I read my Bible and got gold stickers in Sunday school and did the Bible drill, if you, it doesn't matter. If you don't know Bible drill, it doesn't matter. But I did all that stuff and, and I went to all the summer camps and I did all the things. And so naturally, I believed I knew everything there was to know about God in the Bible. And anything that you had to say to me, oh, yeah, I already heard it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I already, I already know that story. Yep, yep. But see, that's, that's my baggage. I think, though, that as I've grown in maturity, uh, uh, as my, my spiritual capacity, my mental capacity has grown, I think it's important that, that we begin, as I have, to look at the surrounding context of the story to try and understand what, what the, the words are actually supposed to mean. Um, th- this is a, a really important Bible study-like tool for us to understand. What were the original speakers or authors trying to say to their original audience? And then I decide, how does that apply to me? But I I don't just straight go to how does that apply to me and I try to come up with my own answer to what Jesus is trying to say here. First, I want to understand what he's saying within his own context. And and so I should be asking myself, is my Sunday school reading still completely correct? Well, I'm no longer a child and we're no longer children. So I think it's time for us to look at the teachings of Jesus and the Bible as a whole with adult eyes and adult understanding. So let me read the story again in a different translation, which again is a great um, Bible study tool technique for you to use. Don't just look at one translation, look at multiple because they do different, they translate it different ways. They're all faithful to the text, but some will try to help us understand a little bit better. Some will be a little more literal to the words. So it's great to have multiple translations open as you read. I'm gonna read this uh, in God's word translation. Therefore, everyone who hears what I say and obeys it will be like a wise person who built a house on a rock. Rain poured and floods came, winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not collapse because its foundation was on rock. Everyone who hears what I say, but doesn't obey it, will be like a foolish person who built a house on sand. Rain poured and floods came, winds blew and struck the house, and it collapsed, and the result was a total disaster. I I hope it's starting to come into focus for us now. The point of the story is not that we should build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. However, that's a great point. But is that the point of this story? No, the point of this story is I'd be a fool not to do what Jesus says. That's the point of the whole story. I would be a fool to not do what Jesus says. Being a disciple is not just about attending church. It's not just about hearing or reading the teachings of Jesus. Being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, is about hearing the teaching and then doing what Jesus said to do. We're accountable to do the things that we've heard. That's what obedience is. We can't just intellectually assent I agree with that thing or I believe in that thing, but never have it leave our brains and go into our hearts and into our hands. We have to do something about what Jesus says and the other Bible writers as well. I don't think that this is our great 
dilemma though, that we've not heard the message or that we've not heard sound biblical teaching uh, at our church or elsewhere. I, I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is that we have a really hard time figuring out how to apply what Jesus is saying into our lives. Or if we're even more honest, we're just lazy and we don't want to do the things that Jesus is calling us to do. Or maybe it's a combination of both. Either way, we are in danger of living out a false narrative of what Christianity is really all about. It's not just about reading a bunch of books and being puffed up with knowledge. It's about making disciples who make disciples. There is something to do for Jesus. He has called us to something. And he hasn't just say he didn't just say go do something. He actually gave us something to do. But here's the thing. All over our country, all over our communities, there will be thousands of believers who are faithfully attending church. Maybe some actually are attending. I shouldn't just do the air quotes. Uh, many are on a digital platform, but probably some are uh, in actual churches. They'll go to the sermon today. They'll listen. They'll be a part of the worship, whatever it might be. They'll like, comment, subscribe, whatever it is. Then they'll log off or they'll leave the church building, and then it will be a return to business as usual. Many will not change anything. Many will not take a risk to adopt and incorporate the gospel into their lives through obedience to Christ's commands. Many will merely feel good that they did church with little fruit to show. This is not what Christ intended, to go and consume a Christian product, but to not live out the Christian life. James 2.17 says it this way, faith without works is dead. I mean, it's, dead. It's, it's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus. That actually has to be borne out through the way that you live. You have, to, you have to do something with Jesus's teaching. You have to put them into action in your life. It's not enough to say that Jesus is your savior. He actually has to be Lord. And there is a distinction you can't just say he's the savior of your life and be content with that, although that's a wonderful thing, and that's a wonderful thing he does for us. But there's a deeper thing here, and, and since we've been examining the, the, uh, uh, the reality of the kingdom on earth now, we have to acknowledge that Jesus isn't just a savior. He is the Lord of this world, and he's the Lord of your life. And if he's Lord, then we can't just... Uh, uh, listen to what he says and then not do what he says. David Jeremiah says it really well. He says it this way. To call someone Lord and then disregard their instructions is to live as a liar and a hypocrite. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. It, it, it ought to cause us to examine ourselves. So here's the challenge. Assess yourself. Are you a hearer only? Or are you fulfilling your kingdom vocation? by adopting the teachings of Jesus into your life, life and then doing them. Are you doing the teachings? I know that's clunky English, but are you doing the teachings of Jesus? Because your life will be transformed. Uh, it, it, it's just true. It's just borne out by, by our own life experience and the way that we see other people. When, when people get serious about becoming a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, not just one who says, I believe, but one who actually follows Christ, one who's being transformed in their head, in their heart, and in their hands. Those people are changed because now they're accessing uh, life, the true life that Jesus called us to, to, to live, as they're attached to the very life of the true king. 
That's what happens when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. We then declare that he is Lord, and then, and then the Holy Spirit gets in us, and all of a sudden, we've got this brand new resurrection life that Jesus offers us through the power of the Spirit. The point of the parable is this. I'd be a fool not to do what Jesus says to do. I would be a fool. Now, what, what is Jesus talking about, though? Because, again, if I just... If I just open up my Bible to, what was the passage, Matthew chapter 7, and, and, and I just read that spot, then I might come away with a simple understanding that I'm just supposed to uh, uh, build my life on Jesus as the rock. He's the foundation of my life. Again, not a bad teaching, but Jesus is referring to something that he's just said over the past two chapters. And when I dissect the word and take it out, when I take verses out of context, or I take just chunks that I want to read at one a little bit at a time, then I might miss the overall thing that's happening. Jesus is actually referring back to Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and he's not just saying everything that I've said. No, he's specifically calling back as he's telling the story back to Matthew chapter 5 and 7. So let's look at some of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7. These are the things that he's telling us to do. Number one, love your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that is a radical idea. Now, and I think that we have heard it so often that it's not radical to us anymore. And so, again, we just intellectually assent. Yes, I know I'm supposed to love my enemies. But then when I get on Facebook, I see a very different thing happening. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to call people out. I'm just saying, though, I, I'm just saying, I, when I look at social media, it's not even just you guys. I'm not pointing at y'all right now. I'm just saying in general, when I look even at social media on, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, I don't see a charitable love for other people's viewpoints or, or, or a spirit of inclusion and unity. I see a lot of division. I see a lot of hate spewed back and forth. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying to do here? I, I mean, beyond that, are we so intentional with our relationships that we are actually outside of ourselves or outside of our small circle being able to be around other people who may not like us? <laughs> Or are we so insulated in our lives that we only have the same three or four or five friends and, and everything just goes with the flow? Jesus seems to be saying that you will have enemies if you're living like this. There will be people who are opposed to you. In fact, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who will be persecuted for my name. This is what will happen, especially if you're intentional and in living out of your kingdom vocation as we're supposed to. We're supposed to love our enemies. Kingdom people need to watch what they say need to watch how they act, need to pay attention and be intentional with our words and our actions and with our thoughts as well, because truth spoken with love turns hearts. Okay, number two, pray for God's will, not yours. And again, this is an exhaustive list, but this is some really important stuff here. Pray for God's will, not yours. This then is how you should pray. I feel like we've been talking about this verse a lot lately, but it's great. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray that God's kingdom would become more visible and more realized through our bodies first and then in the way that we live out his will. He says, be my disciples. So first we need to be discipled. First we need to submit ourselves to the teaching of scripture, to the truth of the gospel, and to a, a mentor who would lead us and guide us towards the correct things. Then we're to go make disciples as we bear the gospel. Yes, in the way that we live, but also in the words that we say. We can't just assume that everybody's going to come up to us and ask us, well, your life is so different. Why is it so different? 
we can't just assume that it's going to happen that way. Yes, it will, and it can happen that way, but we can't just assume that. We actually have to be willing and able to preach the gospel, to say the gospel out loud. We also need to be ready not only to preach the gospel, but to correct what's wrong in the world. Paul calls us uh, to be ministers of reconciliation. That doesn't mean we just yell at people or we just preach all the time. We have to do something. We have to actually go out of ourselves and, and, and find ways uh, uh, to pull others in through the intentional ways that we're living out the teachings of Jesus. We're to raise our families centered on God's word, and we're to fulfill the Great Commission as we live out this Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. We're to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Again, we've probably heard this since you were, you know, two years old, one year old. You've probably heard this forever and ever, and so it doesn't sound radical or life-changing to us, but it is. It's 100% life-changing, and just because it's easy to agree with, it's not easy to live out. So we have to pay attention to, are we just agreeing with this thing or are we actually living it out? This is what Jesus says. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament can be summed up in this phrase. This is powerful words that Jesus is bringing to us. You'd be a fool not to treat people the way that you want to be treated. Be merciful. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Do you think others will show you mercy if you only show them judgmental attitudes? Do you think God will show mercy if you are in constant judgment of everyone else? I mean, in, in light of that idea, you'd be a fool not to treat others with mercy. You need to show grace and forgiveness and mercy and love to other people. That is how we change people's minds, not through just yelling at them and pointing at them and telling them what they're so wrong or whatever. Be forgiving rather than judgmental. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Now, before I move to the next words, I really like the way that the NIV translates this. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. That's the idea that's being carried here. And I, and I went to the Blue Letter Bible, which knows everything, and I confirmed that judged means what it means here. It means to condemn somebody. It doesn't mean to rightly weigh out something or another. It means to condemn somebody. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying we're, we aren't to judge a situation and know what's right or wrong. That's silliness. What he's saying is do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Instead, here's how kingdom people live, forgive and you will be forgiven. You'd be crazy to live your life constantly in judgment of everyone else, condemning everybody else for what they do all the time. That puts you in a place of, you know, oh, high and mighty is me. You become self-righteous in that situation, and that's not what God wants for us. That's no way for a child of God to be living. Be a giving person. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus isn't promising us uh, uh, health and wealth and all that stuff. This is not prosperity teaching here. What he's talking about are the, the aspects of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. You're going to receive the things that you need. You're going to be provided for. You're going to be protected. You're going to have a great life with great relationships. This is the blessing that Jesus is talking about. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to have lots of money. That's not what this is. That's not the point at all. And again, if you just lift this verse out, you're like, well, I'm supposed to be a millionaire. 
where where do I sign up? How do I pray this thing? Yeah, and that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make here. Instead, he's trying to say that you're going to receive the fullness of what life can be, not just a monetary aspect, but the fullness of life, whether it's relationships or it's more of God, God's blessing in you and on you. You'd be a fool to go through life taking and taking and taking and taking and taking instead of giving. And that's the whole point. We're to be giving people. Finally, don't don't worry. I mean, we, we say that all the time, and yet we still <laughs> worry all the time. This is a very hard teaching to actually put in my own heart. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Let's, let's read what Jesus says. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He goes on to say, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? This is his call to us. But seek first his kingdom. That should strike us. Seek first his kingdom. Seek his lordship. Seek to be under his rule and reign and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you or given to you as well. All the things that you're worried about, God is going to take care of. You don't need to worry about it because as you seek his kingdom and as you seek his righteousness, he is going to bless you. Jesus says over and over again that God is not a father who is mean or angry or whatever. He's a loving father who desires to give you what you need and will give you what you need. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. What a great phrase. Again, we've heard it so often. I think we miss how clever that is. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worry going on. (laughs) I love that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, can you see Jesus's point here? Believers are not intended to live lives filled with worry. You're killing yourself with worry. The anxiety and the stress of it, we're not supposed to carry in all that. Instead, we're supposed to live uh, uh, with Jesus in control and we're to trust God. That's why Jesus says to cast our cares on him. And this is actually a great practice. When we find ourselves spinning into that mode of worry or anxiety, we can stop that flow. Like Paul tells us to uh, uh, capture every thought, take captive every thought. We can capture that and then we can put it to Jesus instead. That's a great practical way to be living our lives because then it shows that we're actually committed to this thing that we're trying to live out. Because instead of trying to hold it all, house it all, be stressed about it all, we're giving it to Jesus instead. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, one of our great discipleship verses says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. That's what I just said. And he will direct your paths. This is a great promise of God that when we trust in him, when we lean on him, when we go to him in our moments of worry, he will direct us forward. We'd be fools to live our lives in constant anxiety. We're to trust God through intentional submission and through this constant conversation that we're having back and forth. So to to kind of go back over these ideas, how do I treat my enemies? How do you treat your enemies? What is your witness like on Facebook and Twitter and wherever else you are on social media? That is important and that displays who you are as a person. So watch what you say, watch what you post. In your neighborhood, does anybody even know who you are? It's a valid question. 
Do you know your neighbors at all? And if they do know you, are you known for a negative reason or a positive reason? Are you known for someone uh, uh, who loves Christ or not? At work, over Thanksgiving dinner, wherever you might find conflict, whether it's in family, at home, at work, wherever it is, how are you treating those people? Are you merciful or are you judgmental? Now, you might call yourself a truth teller, but someone else might call you a jerk. So it matters. It matters what we say and how we talk to one another and how we communicate. Speaking the truth in love, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, is, is vital for us. We're to speak the truth in love. It bears out our Christian witness. It's what Jesus is all about. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Okay, I, I, I had one of my best friends um, in, in college tell me this. In fact, it was the same storyteller. His name is Lomax. He said, uh, it's a little out of context, but he said, you will attract what you're like. We were talking to my friend who was like, why do I, why do I have all these weird girlfriends that I keep getting? And we just told him, you attract what you're like. And I was like, huh. And I don't think that's a perfect equation. That's not like a law of the universe necessarily. But I'm saying practically it bears out. So... If you find yourself around a lot of unmerciful people, I mean, are you, are you unmerciful? If you find yourself around a lot of people who gossip and hold grudges over people all the time, are, are you also one of them? I'm not saying you are. I'm just, I'm just asking the question to assess yourself today. Are you one of those people? I mean, do you always take and, and never give out? Are you as innocent as a dove or as crooked as a serpent? I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm not telling you that. I'm asking you to assess where you're at because you will attract what you're like and who you're like. I mean, how how are uh, or how do I trust God instead of worrying? How do I how do I actually live these things out? Because listen, worry and anxiety are natural feelings that can happen out of circumstances, out of grief, and that's not a bad thing. That's just the reality of life until those things become our focus and become all that we're paying attention to. See, look, our, our focus doesn't need to be on every meticulous little detail. Listen, God has all of that under control. He knows all things and he's taking care of all of us. What we're supposed to represent, what we've been talking about in the doubt series so far is that we're supposed to be people of quiet, assured, confident trust in God. That produces a carefree, unanxious presence that people can come and be a part of. And they will be blessed by us. They will be blessed and encouraged. They'll receive life-giving words from us if we begin to live out these teachings of Jesus. Here's the point. If we practice what Jesus says we are supposed to practice, then we will please God. Our lives will be blessed. Maybe not materially but we'll be a blessing nonetheless and we'll be blessed because this is what uh, the, the true way the world is supposed to work, fitting into God's kingdom. It's about drawing near to him. It's about living out our intended design as those angled mirrors, as we vocationally go out to become like Jesus first and then to live like him. We're to make disciples. We can't miss this call of Christ. This is so central to what we are supposed to be. We are to go and make disciples as we become like him, be like him, and go do for him on his terms. We're about to pray here in a moment. I have a couple questions for you. 
if you call Jesus Lord, if that's your witness, if I, if I say I believe in Jesus as my per- personal Savior, if you call him Lord, then what does that declaration mean for every part of your life? Where in my life is he really Lord? And then you need to also assess where in my life am I kind of trying to tuck it away and not really let him be Lord. I don't know what area that is for you, and we don't have time to just call everything out, but but where are you allowing him just to be Lord? Is it just in your spiritual life, or is it and you, over here you're like, hey, okay. you can be Lord of church time, but I don't really want you to be Lord of my you know work time, family time, and play time, or whatever. If you declare that he's Lord of your life, if you declare that he's your Savior, then he has to be Lord of the whole thing. He can't just be Lord of one aspect or one aspect. And listen, if we're honest with ourselves, there are areas, even if we're crushing it, even if we're just doing so well with our relationship with God right now, we're just growing and every time we pray, it's just wonderful and we read God's word so often and we're consistent. Even if that's the case, there's still areas that we need to self-examine and see how can I apply this more and more and more in my life because I want to become more like him. If that's our declaration, then we are duty bound to follow him in these areas. Not just the seven I listed. We should actually go read Matthew chapters five through seven and see what we should be doing. What do I need to be doing to honor this lordship idea? I mean, am I loving my enemies? Am I praying for those who persecute me? Am I going out of my way and being intentional to build relationships as I make disciples? Am I being merciful? Am I forgiving others? Am I giving at all? (laughs) Or am I take, take, take? person. This takes honest assessment. And with God's help, he will lead you gently, maybe sometimes a little less gently, (laughs) but that's okay too, because what he's trying to do is get you to growth. And he's trying to get you to become more like him and transform you as you do the teachings of Christ. As we read our Bibles this week, we need to be paying attention to what Jesus is saying to us through his word. What is he calling us towards? It's not just about get all the knowledge, get all the intellectual assent. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. It's about being changed by his words, applying what he says into our lives. If you've never known Jesus as your Lord, if you've never taken that step, I'm going to pray here in a moment and you can just follow along with me. Um, The words aren't magical. What's, What's important is do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that his kingdom is here and that he has ownership and authority of your life and he gets to dictate the terms of how you will have a relationship with him. So it's not, you know, A plus B equals now I'm saved. You don't have to just say the words. It's about what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, as Romans 10 says. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you'd, if you'd like to make that decision, um, let us know, please. Uh, there's been multiple people over the past several weeks who have made decisions to follow Jesus and they have texted in to let us know that number that we splashed up earlier on the screen. Jeremy's so wonderful. He knew I was headed. Uh, you can text this and please let us know. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to communicate with you and see how we can help invest in your disciple journey to grow and become more like Jesus. So I'm going to pray here in a moment and you guys just can just follow along with me and then I'll close this uh, at the end of that prayer. Okay. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you that you love me and that you care to have a relationship with me. I recognize that I have not always done uh, these teachings of yours. I've not always loved my enemy. I've not always been a forgiving person. I've not always been merciful. 
I recognize that I have sinned, that I've gone against your commands and not done everything that you've asked me to do. But I also recognize and believe that you are Lord of this world and you can be Lord of my life. I'm asking you to save me from those sins, to change my heart, to change my life and to transform me to become more like you. Help me to live like you, to become more like you every day. Help me to find a great church family and a great uh, Bible study to read out of as I begin to become more like you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. And thank you for being my Lord in Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Thanks for joining in with us today. The children's programs and stuff are about to go live, as well as the governing documents. Please pay attention to your emails. We love you guys. We'll catch you next week.